Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. We know the purpose of a sign when we are driving on the street. However, when we encounter the word sign in scripture, we might be either uncertain what it means, or we might gloss over why the word is there. The book of John speaks about the signs of Jesus frequently. Let's join Curtis as he looks at John chapter 2 with a message called, What Did That Sign Say? To those of you joining us on our podcast, hello, welcome to you. I'm glad you have tuned in to be with us today. So my buddy sent me a picture of his growing son pointing at a sign, a street sign, or a, you know, sign, with a silly smirk for the camera. And on the sign was a black and white image that looked something like a coiled extension cord. Most of it was coiled or circled around together, and then one end had kind of a wide spot and then a single split prong coming out of it, and the other end broke into segments as if to indicate a rattle. Can you guess what the sign was saying? It was a rattlesnake warning. They were in a nature preserve, and the sign said, caution, wildlife and area. And the smirk for me on camera was because they know I don't like snakes, particularly rattlesnakes. Um, so they took a picture of this sign and sent it especially for me. And I think then when I talked to them about it, he's like, yeah, I gotta take it to this nature preserve. I'm like, it's not happening ever. <laughs> if they're putting up warning signs for rattlesnakes, pfft, yeah. What is the purpose of putting up a sign? We put up signs to indicate there's something to pay attention to. You know, it might be an instruction, it might be a warning. You know, here is the direction for the voting booth. And so there's a sign with an arrow. Without that sign, you might be wandering aimlessly thinking, where do I go to vote? Uh, perhaps you're driving and there's a sign that says, this intersection is ahead, left lane, 500 meters. Okay, now you won't miss it. You might encounter a sign while driving that's, you know, yield oncoming traffic or stop oncoming traffic. You know, look before proceeding. Because if you don't, well, you might get sideswiped. So signs are there to help us, to get us to pay attention to something. And what happens if we ignore the sign? You know, in our arrogance, oh, I got this, it's fine. Well, you're likely to miss what is important and you might even get hurt. So throughout the book of John, there are various signs and some are very explicit. This is a sign. And other ones we have to discover on our own. And the signs are given in, in the book of John for the same purpose. They're telling us, pay attention. There's something you should notice here. So let's turn to John chapter 2. We're going to read two very familiar stories. And in the first one we're told, sorry, the first one we're told is a sign. Jesus is going to do something that we are meant to pay attention to. Here's a sign. Look at the sign. Consider the sign. And in the second story, the crowd is going to ask Jesus for a sign. So if you remember from last week where we left off, over the course of various days in chapter 1, people gave testimonies of what they saw and experienced with Jesus. And at the end of that chapter, Jesus said, those who believe will see heaven, and, will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending, or we will see heaven and earth come together. So let's see what happens next. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. 
Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, or 75 to 115 liters for us. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples and they stayed there for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you give us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. So I'm going to just pause for a moment and give you just a chance to ponder what has caught your attention. So let me, let me, let's expand on this text a bit. If the purpose of a sign is to get us to pay attention, what is the first sign the text wants us to to notice. Jesus can change water into wine. Or, more specifically, water used for ceremonial cleansing is turned into wine. So what is that action trying to get us to notice? Like, what is that sign trying to get us to pay attention to? And in the second story, after Jesus cleans the temple, they ask for a sign to indicate his authority. And Jesus answers, saying the sign will be there destroying his body, and he raising it back to life in three days. And of course, he uses the word temple for his body, which they don't understand. What is that trying to tell us? So let's set up the context for our first story. There's a wedding. And back then, a wedding was a week-long festival. The couple didn't get married and didn't get married one day and then head off for a honeymoon vacation. They would stay and be the center of the celebration for seven days. And they would visit with all their guests and they would receive their congratulations. Families would be together, friends and neighbors, even people from neighboring towns would come by and be present. And wine is part of that celebrating. One commentator quoted a rabbi who said, without wine, there is no joy. And, and yes, this means that there's a possibility of people drinking too much and getting drunk, 
but getting drunk was uh, still considered a disgrace in that culture. So it didn't, you know, if it happens, it was a disgrace. But for that culture, wine is part of celebrating. It's part of having joy. And hospitality is very important in their culture. To run out of what was needed was humiliating. And in an honor-shame culture, that would have brought shame. It may have been considered a bad omen for their marriage. And there may have been even financial repercussions causing frictions between these families that came together. You know, you didn't provide enough for the, for the wedding. Uh, you know, it just, the repercussions would be large. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, goes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Now, some of you may have a question about how Jesus speaks with his mother. When he says, dear woman, why do you involve me in this? He's not being harsh. To call his mom woman is a little bit unusual, but not that unusual for the culture. Um, and it is still a gentle term. It's not a harsh term. It's not going woman. It's, a, it's, a, it's still endearing. Woman, why do you involve me in this? And that why do you involve me can mean this is not my problem. Or it can mean your concerns are not my concerns. But it can also mean I will handle this in my own way and in my own time. That's less likely, but it's still a fair translation of the phrase. I think it's awkward intentionally. And I think it's awkward to tie it to the next piece, my time has not yet come. Because in the book of John, the next time we encounter Mary, Jesus will again say, woman, dear woman. But that time, he'll be on the cross when his time has come. And I wonder if John, the author, is just trying to link the crucifixion, the crucifixion event with this moment in time. And he's doing it just by using a trigger phrase, something that catches our attention. Dear woman, you called your mom woman? And so that we link the two. Um, just it's a memory trigger. So Jesus has them fill, fill these stone jars to the brim. And when the water is removed, it's been changed to wine, the best wine. So uh, Jesus has created a tremendous amount of wine here. If each stone jar holds 75 to 115 liters, and um, the jars may have been of slightly different sizes because they're carved from rock. And so that's why there's a range. But if each one holds 75 to 115 liters, and then there's six jars, and some of you feel a math question coming here, that equals 450 to 690 liters of water turned into wine, or 600 to 900 bottles of wine. That is very generous. There's no wedding that's going to use 600 to 900 bottles of wine. Imagine trying to store that. You have to have a whole room dedicated to wine. Some people do. What is this sign trying to tell us? Well, one, Jesus has power to create or to change creation. And two, it seems to say he really values celebrating. So on the first point, notice that at the start of the chapter, it says on the third day. Going through the days from chapter one, which we did last week, we're on day seven. Seven days he's gonna create. 
Seven days points to the seven days of creation from Genesis 1. So at one level, the sign is telling us Jesus has the creative power of God. Here's the sign, something you need to consider. He's doing an act of creation on day seven. Who do you know creates in seven days? Hint, hint. And on the second point that he values celebrating, the kingdom of God in scripture is often compared to a celebration banquet, celebrating the victory of the Lord and restoring his creation. So the sign is hinting that Jesus is bringing the great banquet about. This is a small little indicator, the miraculous creation of an abundance of wine. Hint, hint, where does wine show up in scripture, right? So he has the power to create, he values celebrating. But then third, we notice the jars were used for ceremonial cleansing. So these are not jars with water that you use with soap to clean dirt actually off of you. These are for pouring fresh water on your hands to make them spiritually pure, or for pouring on your dishes to make them spiritually clean or sacred. The water in a stone jar was considered living water or fresh water. It would not contain any of the bacteria that might show up in water stored in a clay pot. So washing with this special water was to symbolize that the dirt and contamination of the world was removed or washed away from you. This water symbolized that you are made pure, you are made holy, you are consecrated, you are acceptable to the Lord as his people. So this ceremonial cleansing water, water that makes you clean and holy, this is the water that Jesus turns into wine. And what does wine often represent in the New Testament? The blood of Jesus given for the forgiveness of sins. So this adds a whole new layer to our understanding of the sign, that Jesus' death will be what makes you spiritually pure. And so it's also possible that at the start of the chapter 2, when it said, on the third day, it's trying to get you to think about Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day. So this action that Jesus does at the start of his ministry, what does this sign tell us? The creator God is present in Jesus. With Jesus is the great banquet of the kingdom of God when all restoration is complete. And with Jesus is actual spiritual cleansing. And it is abundant, generous, a tremendous amount is available. Some people are concerned about being pure, uh, that they could be acceptable before God. It's just within them. They have their own internal sense that the contamination from sin needs to be removed from their life, or they want the effect of sin, the dirt from sin just taken away. And so this message uh, easily speaks to their want that Jesus is the one who cleans. But how does the desire to clean show up for people who are not particularly concerned about their stance before God? So Pastor Timothy Keller from New York has said everybody has their own definition of righteousness, their own definition of goodness. Or it's, he said it's what they do to be okay with themselves. Everybody has the, what they need to be okay with themselves, and that's how they define righteousness. So let's work from this idea. A lot of people like to think of themselves as good people. I'm a good person. 
and then they decide what makes them a good person. And once they have that, they try to sustain it or to satisfy it. And that could be, I'm a good person because I don't do these certain behaviors. You know, either I would never do whatever, or I've done that, I will never do it again. And so therefore, I'm a good person. Um, being a good person might come from their spiritual practices. I go to church, I'm a good person. I meditate daily, I'm a good person. Uh, their definition might come from how they approach living. You know, I, I try to make sure I help others get what they need out of life, or I try to make sure others get a fair chance at life, and therefore, I am a good person. You know, consider for yourself, the people that you're close with, how might they define being a good person? I've never caused anybody intentional harm, therefore I'm a good person, whatever. What happens when they fail at that? What happens when they do something that isn't good? Well, they may just decide to ignore that part of their life and what they've done. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just not gonna look at it, uh, which will cause an internal mm, unbalance, a, a break. Um, they could try to turn it into a joke and just normalize it. Okay, yeah, I did this thing, we all do it, yeah, yeah. They're trying to normalize it. Um, and if that doesn't work, sometimes people do things to just numb what is out of step within their own definition of goodness. Like I just, you know, I'm going to drink some wine, I'm going to go for a run, I'm going to do whatever to just numb out. So in the text, we have John saying, here we have a sign that Jesus is the one who actually makes you clean, who makes you good. You don't have to fight within yourself or figure out for yourself how to make yourself good. Jesus is the one who cleans. And Jesus does it completely or he fulfills what you can only do a small piece of or, or what you can only do symbolically. So to help you remember this, Every time you go wash your hands in the sink and you pick up a bar of soap, just remember, Jesus is the one who cleans. Or whenever you see a soap dispenser, let it be a sign. Jesus is the one who cleans, and he cleans fully. Jesus can clean my mind when it is full of ugly thoughts. Jesus can clean my body after I've used it for something that's bad. Jesus can clean my speech and how I relate with people when I'm feeling a little bit negative towards the world. Jesus can clean my history when I have regrets or guilt. Like, let the soap or the soap dispenser be the reminder Jesus cleans and cleans completely. And how does he do it? As we said a couple weeks ago, but it, he does it as you receive him, as you welcome him into your whole life, he cleans. Before we get to the end, let me make a comment about the second part of the passage. Jesus turns his attention now to cleaning the temple. And we looked at this a few weeks ago during Easter uh, when we read it from the book of Mark. Remember, the temple is the place where heaven and the realm of heaven and the realm of earth meet. That's the concept of temple. Heaven, the realm of heaven overlapping with earth. And Jesus drives people out of the temple who were preventing folks from coming to meet with the Lord. He drives out what's preventing the temple from working. 
the place where all this crowd was, was the only place Gentiles could go and, and pray or try to connect with the Lord. Now, some of you may have a question about this incident because in the other Gospels, Jesus cleans the temple at the end of his ministry. And here, John records it at the start of his ministry. So did he clean the temple twice? Or did John put it where he wanted it to be to say what he wants to say? And I, I can't tell you the answer for certain. Uh, it's clear that John is trying to tell us who Jesus is at the start of his ministry. So it fits John's theological agenda. And John's text doesn't technically demand a chronological order. But there's a lot of notes on time and place within John that suggests he's actually paying attention to actual history. And if Jesus wanted to make a strong attention-getting entrance into the public world, this was really good. It got everybody's attention. And Jesus' public ministry took place over about three years. If he cleansed the temple at the start, three years later would be long enough for things to return to the way they were and for him to have to do it again. And that's where I tend to land, is that likely he did it twice. Was that? Yeah, this again. <laughs> this guy again. Oh, no. Why is cleaning the temple important? such that John has to put it at the start of Jesus' ministry. What's he trying to say? In the beginning, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth did overlap. That was what was intended, that the ways on earth would reflect the ways of heaven. Sin broke our har this harmony. And now we have two different ways, right? We know when we look around, when we watch the news, when we pay attention to what's going on in the world, this world is not how this is supposed to be. And as scripture describes it, when all the work is done and the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, the earth will once again be in full harmony with the ways of the Lord. And Jesus aggressively cleans the temple so that in this one place, the harmony can be restored. Let's start at the temple to get the harmony restored. And then this is one place people can come to try to bring themselves into alignment with the Lord or to try to be restore but then there's more to the cleansing the jews ask for a sign by what authority are you doing this and jesus says destroy the temple and i will raise it again in three days what doesn't translate into english is the challenge he puts into these words he's not saying if you do this i will do that uh, that's like a simple if you do this i'll do that rather it's more go ahead and do this and see what happens like, there's a, there's a drive and a challenge in it. Go ahead and do this and see what happens. Which means uh, he's egging them on. He's revealing his agenda. His agenda is to restore harmony between heaven and earth. Like, do this so that I can do what I came to do. Kill me so I can restore the harmony. And that leads us to why Jesus plays on this word temple. They talk about the temple building. He talks about the temple being his body. Uh, he, he's telling them quite bluntly, I am the temple. You know, he is the place where heaven and earth come together. What the temple building 
is a symbol of and it's a place for, he is in actual existence. He is heaven overlapping with earth. He is harmony. So in this passage, we're given a sign. Pay attention. These actions of Jesus are trying to tell us something. And we realize the creator God is present in Jesus. Jesus is the great bank. With Jesus is the great banquet of the kingdom of God. With Jesus is actual spiritual cleansing. And it is abundant and generous and a tremendous amount is available. Jesus is the one who makes you clean. And when you go to wash your hands and you see a bar of soap, Jesus is the one who washes me clean. And Jesus then is the temple where the realm of heaven comes to earth. And his purpose is to restore the harmony between these two. So what has caught your attention this morning, either in the text or what we've been talking about? Um, or what challenge does this leave you with? I just wanted, uh, what drew, me, drew my attention was verse 11. And his disciples put their faith in him. Of all the things that, uh, that Christ had in mind at that wedding, there was nothing more important that, than that, that, that the disciples put their faith in him. That's verse 11. Verse 22. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. They believed. That was the most important thing that could happen as a result of all of that. Then verse 23, which we didn't read today, <laughs> but which says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs. And this was the first one, of course. He was doing and believed in his name. So I just want to add that to great. Uh, uh, a really, really whole bunch of reasons why, why these different things happened. But the ultimate goal was that people might believe. Beautiful. Yeah, just to George's point, he always said, believe on the evidence of the miracles. So I totally agree with George, and I like how important the disciples' um, belief was to him in that. I just looked up the Dallas Willard quote, and the bit that I looked up says, God is the happiest, most joyful being in the universe. God is not mean, but he is dangerous. Oh, so just to tie it to this, a wedding, wine, joy. So I just have always loved that his first miracle was to bring joy, like he first highlighted, yep. uh, to this occasion, and that mattered, and that continues to matter to him. But just to go to your other point about, you just do this, like destroy this temple and see what I do. That's the dangerous part, Yeah. right? Like he, he's kind of beyond what we can anticipate. I don't mess with him. His agenda is joy, but he will stop at nothing in our lives to accomplish that purpose, and that sometimes might look very dangerous to us. Love it. Right at the beginning of it, uh, it, it, it just, the way that I heard it in my head, uh, sound, dear woman, that's not our problem, sounded very much like, mom, <laughs> which is... <laughs> This, this universal sound that you hear from um, uh, every teenager to their mom at one point or another. Of course, he's 30 years old, but um, 
it, it's nice to see that, that the relationship between mother and son hasn't changed over the, over the ages, that we're still just a little bit embarrassed to have our moms push us out in front of everybody and say, hey, look. <laughs> Mom, I'm here with my friends. <laughs> and as a mom, I caught almost the exact same thing, except I love her reaction to it, which is, so it, it goes something like this. He can do that. And he's like, but I'm not working right now. And she's like, he'll do it. Just do the, just, just, just follow his instructions. It's fine. <laughs> it's a whole new layer to the text. Jesus never intended to go public, but then his mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that's in the text. <laughs> As you, you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, Jesus is saying that he is the temple. Yeah. Paul goes on to say that we are the temple. Yes. We are the place where heaven and earth meet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because we are in Jesus. And so we are now temple. We are where the heaven and earth are meant to be in harmony. Let me offer a prayer. Father, thank you for making scripture clear and that John, when he wrote, was really clear. Here's a sign, pay attention, think about this. And Jesus, thank you for what you are doing, that um, you are bringing the earth and heaven back into harmony. And the way that we individually can participate is by being clean, cleansed. Um, how simple and how wonderful. Lord, is there anything in particular I can pray? I just wanna thank you for what you are doing. And I don't think I need to add any ask but just thank you. And I ask, that, oh, no, here's the ask. May you continue to do what you are doing and bring glory to yourself as you accomplish what we could not do. You are the Savior and you are the leader, the Lord. And in your name and to your glory we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.